0: Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Access Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller and Marjorie They're here with Media Mavens podcast. We're here today with Steve Worden founder at Gigger Entertainment. Hey Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Sarah, how are you? Hi Marjorie.
0: Hey, I'm so excited to have you on. Like I literally, as you know, just got back from New York last week and like it's been nothing but NFTs and like I love the fact that we're talking to you on the entertainment side about the music industry. So like I'm super glad you're here with us today.
1: Yeah, no, happy to be here.
0: And it's so funny because like you are the founder of Gigger Entertainment and the co-founder, Peter Diemer. I have known for so long since the universal days in music industry. So I'm super excited to finally see a music company adapt to new technologies. And I think we've talked about this where the music industry has been messy and it doesn't adapt to new technologies very well, hence where the music industry is at. But the fact that NFTs and blockchain and crypto are blowing up, you guys are forging to the head. Of the industry right now over at Gigger, so I want to kind of hang out with you, talk to you about your background, your music background with Elton John, what you're doing over Gigger, why you created Gigger, but talk to us about what's going on with this company now and where you guys are heading to the NFT space on the music side.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a there's a lot there. You mentioned Peter Beamer, so he and I are working together on on this uh, Gigger Entertainment and Technology. And Peter was, was a label major label exec, Universal Music, EMI. And so we've known each other for, for a long, long time, worked together on all kinds of different promotions of, of big artists back in the day. But Peter sort of pivoted into tech way before I did and had a company called Hip Digital in Vancouver. He was involved in another... I mean, going back to like the late 90s, when the internet was still kind of a new thing. And
0: Are we aging ourselves? I feel like we're talking about this right now. I'm only going back
1: to the 90s.
0: I met Peter when we were all in our 20s. Let's just take a few 10 years off of that.
1: That was the 90s. So he he moved out from Toronto to Vancouver and kind of got involved in the tech scene in Vancouver, which has become a a super hotbed of technology development, especially in blockchain, uh, which, of course, is the underlying foundation of NFTs. And so Vancouver's on fire now, as far as blockchain goes, with Dapper Labs, which is the home of NBA Top Shot, and now the, the NFL, NFT marketplace, and, and all the kinds of other stuff. So he and I kept in touch over the years. He did a stint at Live Nation as well along the way. And I had spent some time out in California and connected with some, uh, some of my old buddies from Toronto who had come down to California and taken over the world in music, as people may or may not know, Live Nation, the biggest concert promotion company in the world is basically run by Canadians. No disrespect to any Americans or Brits or anybody else involved at at the higher reaches, but I think those guys know what I'm talking about. So we were kind of plugged in with a lot of the the guys running Live Nation there. Peter was in-house there for a while, uh, helping them with some projects. I did a little bit of consulting for them as well. And yeah, so Giger really came from... Peter and I talking about where technology had gone, where it was going, how the music industry and the entertainment industry was changing because of tech, and especially in the last 18 months, getting into what blockchain and NFTs were going to do. And as we started having these conversations in 2020, shortly after the pandemic hit and kind of crippled the live music business and had a lot of people stepping back and, and saying... Hmm, I'm going to take stock here about you know, what are my options and what other ways could artists make money? If you can't tour, which is where most musicians were making their living, what other things can we do, and especially you know, using technology? And as we started to have those conversations, these things called NFTs started to uh, come on everybody's radar and they're in the news and media and it's like NFTs. what the F is an NFT? And so we were talking to people in the industry, artists themselves, bands, managers, agents, and getting a lot of questions because Peter knew a thing or two about it already, having been in Vancouver in the tech scene and had already been developing a blockchain platform for another application, mainly to do with photography. And so we were answering questions and learning ourselves a little bit more about what blockchain could do, what NFTs were going to be, and was there application for for artists, and especially some of the artists and bands that we've known for decades. And so, you know, maybe some people, or maybe a lot of people think that, oh, NFTs and blockchain, you know, all that stuff, it's for electronic music or techno or, you know, super young artists, and it's got nothing to do with fans and artists that have been around for a while. But we're looking at it from the other perspective, which is, You've got bands and artists that have been around for a long time. They've got huge fan bases.
0: Wait, now, so Steve, were you managing artists? Now, you, I mean, we know, Peter, you're your co-founder. I know you guys have such strong history as friends and business partners. But your background in music, was it directly with the artists or was it through companies like Live Nation, AEG, and so forth? Or were you like, directly managing some of these guys?
1: Well, I mean, when, when Peter and I first met, he was a label exec. So he was in in marketing and promotion, and I would have been in the broadcast world. So I was I started as a writer when I was in university. Well, actually, no, I started as a promoter when I was in like seventh grade. So (laughs) I was I was hiring bands and booking bands and dealing with agents. You know, when I was fourteen.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Let, let, let's, let's kind of like roll back here. You were like 14, 15. You just decided you had this. You knew then what you wanted to do in music and started managing and promoting bands at eighth grade.
1: No, no I didn't start managing bands until I was in 10th grade. Uh, <laughs> so like eighth grade. No, I was I was president of the student council in junior high. It's, I know that's hard to believe. But I was like modestly popular for a minute. Those days are long gone. But so, and, and as as part of that job, which yeah, I had no budget and no sal- no salary, obviously, but uh, there, no, there was a modest budget to book entertainment, you know, for like the yeah. junior high dance. So yeah, here I am, you know, at 13 or 14, I guess I was phoning booking agencies and like, hey, you know, I've got $200. You know, what, you've got a band or did I even have 200? It might have been a hundred. And yeah, we actually booked bands and, and put on dances. So, you know, you learn about ticket sales and you know, dealing with artists and agents and managers. Anyway, that was my, my introduction. And at the same time I was writing, I was not a great student, but I could always write a little bit. So it was okay in English. So I was writing articles and reviews of, you know, record reviews for the school paper. And then when bands would come to town, touring bands, I would go and try to meet them and interview them. I think the first band I interviewed was, I don't know if this is going to be before your time for sure. Spooky Tooth. Remember that name? Mm, no. Tooth. <laughs> this was the 70s. You know, this is like the 70s. But they were like a cool British band, so I remember going to yeah the arena. They they played the arena, and going and I I interviewed them. But I, there was no like I hadn't arranged it. I hadn't like contacted a publicist. And I just showed up and you know had a notebook and you know somebody took pity on me and let let me ask them a couple of questions. So so yeah, a long winded answer here. So I was writing articles, but I was also when I was in the student council, I was booking bands. So that was my. Nobody cares about this. <laughs> I just
0: don't, know, Bobby, but but no, it's, it's interesting because like you've always been in music. Either I've or... always been
1: around music, and yeah. I could I tried to play the guitar when I was twelve. I like my mom and dad bought me, and I was I was friggin' hopeless. And just I you know tried a few lessons, and I just couldn't pick it up. So I just very quickly said, okay, I love music. I want to be around music, but I I'm not going to be in the band. So what can I can I be the can I write about bands? Can I do reviews? Can I interview them? Can I, you know, be a promoter? Can I be a manager? Asking myself all those questions. And so then just started doing it But back you know, when I was a kid. So that's that's how I started to learn.
0: With this huge background in music, what was the aha moment that inspired you to create Gigger?
1: Well, okay. So let me just fast forward from when I was 14 to when I was a little older than 14. <laughs> I mean, I've just done a lot of different things. Like I said, I I started I started writing. So I wrote for a newspaper while I was in college and university for like the big daily paper in my hometown. And again, I was doing reviews and concert reviews and interviews and stuff. And then I got into broadcasting. Some I actually wrote an article about a radio station which had just started, which was a rock the first rock station at that time in my hometown. And I did an article about them. And the program director, and music director, whom I interviewed for the article, they called me a couple of days later and said, "Hey, do you want a job <laughs> on the radio?" And I said, well, "I don't know." And anyway, so they hired me, and uh, and I was horrible. I should have never have been anywhere near a microphone. But they they were patient with me and basically said, "Okay, well, you can do the interviews." And so I started doing interviews on on the radio, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's coming through town—Van Halen and you know, Billy Joel and you name it. So, yeah, it was just another manifestation of a way to be around music and be a part of it was, was doing that job. And and so that led me to go to Toronto and continue to work in print and, and broadcast and television, you know, interviewing people. You know, I remember doing a story on YouTube when they blew up on the the, jo- the original Joshua Tree Tour in eighty seven and going to Montreal to cover that show at the, the Olympic Stadium, you know, I 60,000 people or something. And I was doing it. I did a piece for the national broadcaster in Canada, the CBC. It was a big deal. Like it was a primetime evening news. And we couldn't even get the band to do an interview. Like that was for a national television piece on YouTube at the height of Joshua Tree, and, you know, becoming the biggest band in the world. And we did this piece on them without even getting an interview with the band. That's how little clout I had, but years later, I would kind of go on the road with with U2 because an old friend of mine, Arthur Fogel, who's at Live Nation, he's the chairman of global touring for Live Nation, he's U2's promoter. And he hired me years later, maybe it was only like 10 years later, to go out on the road with them, interview the band and everybody involved in putting their production together and create the series that we did around that tour. So I just started to meet a lot of people along the way. And so, Margie, you asked about putting Gigger together. I mean, that came much later, but it really is—it's bringing all of that experience and all those all those relationships together now, and with this new technology that's been developing over the last few years. And so, going back to Peter Deemer, who I'm working with on Gigger, what could we do here? What could we do together? And we, between us and other people on our team, like Paul Eastwood, another former major label exec, like we we know a few people in the industry, so. Hmm, maybe we can start to think about a solution for them to use this new technology in interesting ways, creatively, and maybe as a way to also generate some new revenues.
0: Are you so, even are you surprised how quickly the industry? I mean, is it the industry adapting to NFTs because that's just where you saw it evolving to, or do you think we were all forced to move in this direction because of COVID? Because touring stopped. There was no other ways to really make money. And it's, 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 it's what you're doing at Gigger is a tremendous way to keep fans connected to their favorite artists. And I know there's a few, and I don't know if we talked about this, where they're starting to do NFTs of lyrics of songs and everything. Is this just another like smash and grab to make money to make up for the loss? Or do you really think the music industry is sustainable to adapt and moving into the future with Web3, with the whole NFT stuff going on?
1: yeah i think we're, we're it's in its infancy like we're, we're we're just at the beginning so to put it in context the end of 2020 what we started to hear about i think Mouse did an nft drop and you know he meant something in that world which was the the world of crypto and early adopters in in blockchain and nfts because nfts have been around for several years the world just didn't know about them and and the truth is most of the world still doesn't know about them. I mean, we have to remind ourselves of that. Like we're talking about it. You guys are aware of it. I'm not sure how many people even, you know, listening to this podcast now really know, but maybe they've read a headline and they've, they've seen something about, oh, you know, this digital artist Beeple, you know, sold an NFT for $69 million, which is a whole other crazy story. So when that sort of thing happens, which let's be honest, there may be, you know, some orchestration going on around some of those events and, uh, and sales to promote the whole idea of NFTs. But I think we're still at the very beginning of where this could go. And especially with music, because there's so many rights issues involved around music itself that like, I, we don't feel like we've seen very much at all of actual music being deployed in NFTs. We've seen a lot of visual art. Uh, Marjorie, you mentioned something about, you know, lyric sheets. You know, obviously, an NFT can be anything. It's just a digital certificate of authenticity and ownership of a piece of content. So it could be music. It could be an image, a photograph, piece of artwork. It could be a lyric sheet. It could be Jack Dorsey's first tweet. We've seen all that kind of stuff. So I think we have yet to see where this could go for music.
0: I think there's just so much noise out there. And that's is what we've been talking about is delineating, defining the market. Because like you said, everybody's hearing NFTs, they're seeing it, but nobody really understands what it is, where it's going and how it's evolving. I mean, how? what part of the technology that you guys are doing do you think is sustainable for the music? Do you think the future is going to be, people want their own parts of lyrics, they want the images because... My question is there's so the DRM is a big issue, and I know they're all about NFT rights. If I own your original lyric or image, that's great. But now' we're on social. anybody can screenshot, share, forward. My concern and we're not concerned, I guess question is how far do we step over the line with NFTs on sharing that starts to hinge on, actual digital rights with the artists and the labels wanting their cut. If you're in, if I'm Taylor Swift or whoever Ellen John and I'm going to have a 200 million dollar NFT drop my label is going to want a piece of that because they own the rights to certain parts of the lyrics and those writers producers do you see any clarity in where this is going to go and is this going to be an issue with the labels and the artists down the road as it gets bigger
1: Oh yeah there's there's no question it's going to be an issue because every record contract is different. And so, I mean, I've heard, and even been privy to a few conversations about, well, are certain rights specifically identified in every contract? Uh, Will digital rights cover NFTs? Does that mean the label can say, we have the right to, to create NFTs based on this music or this particular album? So again, you know music rights are always a minefield because it's everything from the master recording rights to the publishing rights, which could be multiple songwriters. It's complicated, and I think you're seeing, I mean, it's interesting. I'm reading and hearing about a lot of younger artists who are insisting on owning and controlling their own master recordings, which obviously is like that's what you want. That's what you want to do this old traditional model of signing with a major label and the label owns your master recordings in perpetuity is honestly, it's absurd. It's outdated and it's not right. So along the way, if an artist gets successful and has clout and has leverage with the label, they'll renegotiate their deal and often get their masters back. So... We're seeing, in in the last 18 months, we've seen this this new explosion of veteran artists selling their rights. There could be their publishing rights, could be their master recording rights, if they own their masters. And that's really kind of shone a light on how the industry works and on on different rights deals. I mean, I know it was, you know, I'm not sure exactly when this, you know, people are going to be hearing this, but. In 2022, early in the, in the new year, another announcement about Bob Dylan selling his, his master recordings. And I had to remind myself for a minute, oh well, didn't he already do that? And I was like, oh no no, this is his master's. So he fought to get his master recordings back at a certain point. and now he sold those rights for reported 200 million dollars. but in 2020 he'd already sold his publishing for reported 300 million. Bruce Springsteen, just I think it was just before the holidays at the end of 2021, announced that he had sold all his rights, his master's and his publishing, for a reported $500 million plus. So the stakes are enormous. But if I can remember the point I, <laughs> I was trying to make, uh, it's that a lot of younger artists are insisting on owning their own master's right from the beginning or not even signing deals with major labels at all because they don't need to necessarily. So when it comes to NFTs, maybe this does bring it back full circle, who has the right to create and issue the NFT? It's just going to differ from artist to artist, deal to deal. And again, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be messy. And people who are maybe interested in buying and collecting NFTs, they need to remember that when you buy an NFT, let's say of a piece of art, or if it's gonna be a piece of music, you're not getting any rights to that that content. You can't turn around and you can sell the NFT, but you can't turn around and commercialize or re-release the music or repurpose it or anything like that, unless there's a different model that's, that's going to be put out there, which we are hearing about artists who are basically almost issuing an NFT like a security and saying, as part of the deal here, you get a percentage of the royalties from this song or this piece of art going forward. But that raises a whole other issue, which is NFTs as securities, which is another unknown about when the government steps in and regulates these things and who can invest in them. And and if it's a security, that requires a whole other level of uh, administration, organization, laws, rules legal and there can be a lot of barriers
0: well, to that's just going to be a matter of time because if you look at the blockchain look at crypto bitcoin the training nfts you know nothing's back banked regulated so eventually i think the fintech world is going to start stepping into this and laying down regulations the monitor to protect the rights protect what goes in and what goes out so let's talk about giga for a second in this because are, you guys aren't minting nfts you're you have the technology for these artists to make their NFTs or how is Gigger playing into this whole world of music and NFTs now? We can
1: mint NFTs. I mean, anybody can mint NFTs, okay. Right. I mean, you, you can mint an NFT tomorrow, tonight. So no, our proposition is, and again, we, you know, we started a year in the last year talking to different people in the industry and getting feedback on what, what the level of interest was, what the level of knowledge was about these things. And you know, do you want to get into the space? And if you do, will you need help? Do you want help? So we, we are almost positioning ourselves as like a bridge because we've got technology, blockchain technology expertise in our team. We've got a way to almost customize or deliver like a bespoke experience for a, a given artist or a brand or a label to have their own NFT marketplace or store. And, and truly customize it for them. So we're like a bridge from the analog world almost into this new world of tech. And so we can, we can help them create the NFT, we can curate with them, and, and there's different levels of, of need there. Some artists and, and managers that I got it. We have our own creative team. We'll deliver the actual NFT, and you guys deploy it on the blockchain that we want to be on and do it, you, know, you sort of power our NFT release and work with us on the market. So it's it's kind of a range of, of services that that we can provide and really just help people get into that space in a way that they have comfort that the tech part of it is handled. But they're also working with people who know the music industry and are willing to and, and capable of working with them on the creative side. Because it's really a two, two-sided coin. It's like, I think an NFT is a way to... Another way to express yourself creatively, because you can just cook up like a, a new piece of content, like it's almost like a new canvas. What can it be? Well, it can be anything. It can be visual, it can be audio, it can be video, you can collaborate with other artists. And then on the flip side is the way to monetize that and create a new revenue stream, which you participate in in perpetuity, because the smart contract on the blockchain, which underlies NFTs, allows for you as the creator to be paid on any future secondary sales forever. So it's like, it's a royalty model.
0: That's great. And I love that you guys are talking about creativity, because I think that's so important for artists. It's all about the creativity. It's all about the brand. And so if you've worked with huge people, and then this is also for indies beyond. So if somebody was out there who has a band, they could basically come to you and say, Hey, you know, I really want to get in this market and you're just going to take them step by step through it. I think it's a great business model.
1: Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're starting with artists and people that we have relationships with and then many cases those are you know well-known names so we think that's that's a good place to start kind of prove to the market that we can deliver on on that level and then develop kind of a DIY model that smaller up-and-coming independent artists can use so there are ways for it to work for everybody and and again with superstar type artists yeah they require and deserve a little more handholding but, but then there's there's a lot of other artists that they're, they're happy to roll up their sleeves and do it themselves but but a lot of the a lot of the other artists bigger artists they don't want to do it themselves they're like okay this there's certain steps here that I just don't want to deal with so you know I trust you guys you know you know the technology and, and I trust you creatively as well so that's kind of what we're we're offering.
0: Let's talk before we run out of time here. I know you guys my man tremendous I love seeing more music come into the NFT space because we're seeing a lot of sports a lot of art you know Bored ape's, I mean, crazy rabbits, but like, I love that this is another avenue for artists to make money to own their rights. You guys are launching a uh, rock audible somewhere this quarter, or next quarter, what's going on with rock audibles. Cause I know that's all about, again, the storytelling and what you guys, do. is that an NFT or is that just archiving the stories and lyrics for people?
1: No, it's, it's, well, it's not it's not the lyrics, but it's the, the, it will be NFTs. But it's looking more at music history. The idea is you know, kind of like a moment in music history. And so the NFT could be a piece of an interview with, with a rock star, accompanied maybe by a really cool photo. Maybe that photo's never been seen before. Maybe it has. So it's almost like a mixed media. So it could be audio, could be video, could be, you know, photography, uh, could be all of them. And again, it's important to make it creative and, and different. And it could be a little 30-second collage, could be, you know, a couple of minutes maybe. So we're creating a new piece of media content, but the core of it is, you know, music history, celebrating music history. And and we believe that, yeah, people are collecting, you know, cartoon monkeys and, uh, and fuzzy <laughs> rabbits and... And all kinds of stuff. And that people who are really into music, a lot of the hardcore fans, they love collecting stuff, whether it's t shirts or posters or photos or, you know, lyric sheets or, or whatever. And that this is just a new way of, of offering content and entertainment around what you're passionate about. So it's another kind of collectible. Uh, and so we've just created our own kind of brand. We're, right now we're calling it rock audibles, but you know uh,
0: I love it because you talk about mixed media, and then we're, and then on your website it's all about mixed tapes, like the old school. <laughs> mixtape tape cassettes.
1: yeah, well, that's that's what we did. Yeah. So we really made it kind of retro. I love cassettes. And cassettes have had kind of a cool resurgence, you know, as has vinyl. But with the the idea of like if there's a bit of an interview with an artist, so the idea of the, you know, the old cassette running and you can see the wheels turning and, you know, you can hear the audio. So we just thought that would be kind of a cool lo-fi, almost punk rock kind of, you know, branding or, or idea. And, and it even resonates, I think, with, with a younger audience that like, there's a lot of kids in their twenties and thirties who are into cassettes now. It's like a cool, you know, kind of retro thing. So I don't know. We just thought it was, yeah, we could have fun with that and a mixtape could be you know just a collage or a collection of these these different things so yeah i mean we want to have fun with it you know that's like if it's not fun what's the point
0: it's not worth the point yeah you got to have a purpose i love that you guys move into this music space is there anything like what's coming up like what can we look forward to i know you're launching rock audibles pretty soon is anything else coming up that we could keep an eye out on gigger
1: Yeah. I mean, again, we've got some well-known artists who want to get into this space, but are honestly being cautious and they want to do it right. They're following their fan bases to just see some quick cash grab, some stupid thing. They want it to have quality. They'd like to, you know, hopefully develop a long-term strategy in this space and and be be doing things, you know, for for years to come. So, yeah, I mean, at this very moment, I can't know announce exactly what that first project or two is going to be but I think by the time this airs we'll be getting close so I would just say keep keep an eye on you know gigger giggerlive.com is, is the website um
0: G-I-G-R, Gigger
1: G-I-G-R so yeah I mean it's you know in, in the concert parlance you know it's a gig right so yeah. we when we started this thing it was like well what's another way to create work for a gig so bigger
0: nice i okay. was so good having you on steve i love having to honor nft series talking about the music side you guys will keep us posted of yeah. anything that comes up we're looking forward to dropping some of your artists on here as well as soon as they go live with some of their nfts with you the best place to reach you if anybody has any questions is obviously go to gigger live or catch you on linkedin
1: yeah for sure
0: i don't want to promote your email like <laughs> your phone number live on a podcast? Yeah, no,
1: that's that's okay. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, just the the website is probably the best. Giggerlive.com.
0: So for all our rock stars out there who need NFTs, get a hold of Gigger, and then anybody who's looking for music NFTs, Gigger is going to be the place to go.
1: Yeah, I think we. Yeah, I think we're gonna we're working on some stuff that's really I think it's really interesting and exciting, and I think the whole NFT digital collectibles thing is. I think it's just really interesting. And, you know, look, I'll be honest. I know people, you know, that have known a long time who've said, I think this is bullshit. I don't get it. I think it's stupid. Why would anybody pay good money for a JPEG?" And with respect, I just say, you know what? I think you you might want to, if you're interested, do a little more reading about it and, and find it. Because there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. And the reasons that people are passionate about it, and there's a growing community of people that are into collecting NFTs, there's many different reasons, but the mindset that it's it's 2022. There's new technology. We're in a new world, and we've heard that kind of stuff before. Like, why would anybody do this or do that or you know get in a car when you can you know ride a horse? I mean, <laughs> we, history is full. And I'm not saying that I'm such a forward-thinking guy, but like I get it. It's new tech. It's a new medium. It's a new way of being creative and doing business. It's and a
0: better way to share your content and make money while you're at it and stay. Yeah.
1: yeah. But if, it, yeah, if it's not for you, whether as a consumer or as a, as an artist, that's cool too. I mean, not everything's for everybody, but I, I think what we've seen so far is pretty interesting and exciting and I'm up for exploring, see where it can go.
0: Nice. It was so good having you on Steve. You're, we'll stay in touch with you. We love having you on the show to talk about this. And we look forward to it.
1: By the way, I love
0: ah, Right? <laughs> my <laughs> fashion <laughs> NFTs. i just got to get ahead of the curve here and so minting. What is the Archie
1: and Veronica or just uh, <laughs> No,
0: they're just it's the entire fashion uh fashion world on my wall on a big astrological calendar that I minted my own version of the Sarah mint. On my wall. I love it. (laughs) It was so good you have on our show today, Steve. Until next time, Sister Miller, Marjorie DeHaye, we're here with Steve Warden at Gigger Live and we'll see everybody next week. Bye,
1: guys.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com.